Welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Nathan Lear and I'm with my colleague, Glenn Fairburn. We're both advisors and directors of Hewison Private Wealth. So earlier this week, the final report and recommendations from the Royal Commission into misconduct into the banking, superannuation and financial services industry was released. So Glenn and I have a bit of a discussion about that, some of the, the major recommendations and our takeouts. Enjoy, hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, earlier in the week on Monday, um, the findings from the and, and recommendations from the Banking Royal Commission um, were finally released. Um, now it's a fairly extensive report. I mean, it's over a thousand pages with annexures and and so forth. And there's seventy six recommendations um, that were made by Commissioner Hain to the government. Um, there's obviously a lot of detail in here and we did talk about it fairly extensively um, last year when, when the investigations were, were going on. Um, the federal government was pretty quick to public, publicly accept all of the recommendations um, and the opposition's also said um, that they plan to enact all the recommendations. Um, so I suppose without further ado, what, what, we, what we plan to do is not obviously go through every single recommendation but Nathan and I thought we'd just have a bit of a discussion about those recommendations that we feel are most relevant um, and, and most likely to impact our listeners, our industry um, and I suppose consumers and, and the general public um, the most. Uh, I suppose now just to kick things off, was there any particular place where you wanted to start or any particular recommendation that you think's um, you know gain the, gr- the greatest level of, of um, attention maybe before we hone in on the on, on any of the specific recommendations I wouldn't mind just having a think about it from a top the top view for a second yeah. so um, the obviously the on my understanding anyway Glenn correct me if I'm wrong that the, the the commission was called mainly due to the operation of the banks although it was the the well it's called the Royal Commission into Misconduct in the Banking, Superannuation and Financial Services Industry, which yeah. is quite broad, but yeah. a lot of it was to do with banks, was my understanding. Yeah, so what do you think the general, before we, as you said, before we go into each of the recommendations or the ones we think were relevant, what do you think the overall sort of feel was when the release, when the report or the recommendations were released? Well, all you have to do is look at the, the, the bank share, share prices. prices and they were rallied around 5% you know, across the four majors. Yeah. Uh, Westpac was up 7% on the day. So obviously the investors who were, you know, forward-looking in, in all the share market, which is forward-looking, looked quite favourable from a banking point of view, didn't it? So do you think the market perhaps was was thinking that there might be some quite severe um, ramifications of, of the findings and, and recommendations to perhaps um, split off certain segments of the, of the banking business and so forth yeah definitely and you know we we, we spoke we've spoken about the whole um you know vertical integration model of banks which which they have already maybe anticipated some things that might have been in the report that weren't where they might have had been forced to sell out sell off um you know financial advice businesses yeah but yeah there wasn't 
really much talk of although it was you know frowned upon in the or spoken about in the report there, there was no firm recommendation on you know the whole vertical integration model and that's probably been the one of the greatest criticisms so far hasn't it in that there was a lot of discussion about the misconduct of the banks um but there doesn't seem to be any um sort of recommendations that would severely impact them i mean there has been some ramifications in over the last couple of days with the chairman and ceo of, of nab effectively resigning so there has been some um you know fallout from that um, but i think that it'd be right to say perhaps that the general feel has been that the banks have not come off lightly but it hasn't been pro- probably as severe as what the market may have been anticipating yeah that, that's right and maybe you know some of the actions that the the banks have undertaken over the past year or so you know around around lending standards where, you know, they've tightened um, some practices there. Maybe, yeah, may, maybe that's part of it. Maybe they were yeah. kind of acting ahead of the game, so to speak. Do you think so, also from as far as the recommendations go that there was perhaps a little bit of concern going too hard on the banks? Because obviously the banking system within any economy is very important. Especially our. Especially, especially within Australia. Australia. Um, you know, do you think there was... We're speculating here, but that there may have been concern with perhaps tightening the screws too much that that could have impacted lending even further and it's already a fairly um, temperamental property market as to what the overall implications may have been if they went too hard on the banks do you reckon any i mean we're, we're speculating hard, hard to possibly hard so to, hard say, to say yeah. yeah um i'll look probably glenn i mean you said you know where where do we start and i know we've spoken at a at a bit of a, a top level here actually one point actually i was going to make at a at a top level is um just just at the start you know when you spoke about the governments you know implementing the changes just to uh, play on the words or whatever but my understanding is the labor the labor government who are looking like they might get to power in this year have said they will implement everything where the coalition the current current government have said they will act on 75 of the 76 so act on which doesn't mean they've got to implement does it so and, a bit of the, the words. Yeah, this, this is where the devil's in the detail. I mean, this isn't the first Royal Commission we've ever had. Um, so it's a matter of whether they do and whether they or whether they can implement the recommendations because, yes, both sides of, of um, politics may say that they or may publicly say that they accept all the recommendations, but it really depends on what the political outcome is or the election outcome is, you know, mm. potentially early, mid this year whether they can. I mean, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge. Um, I, I think that it's very, it's highly likely that most of the recommendations will be accepted, um, but there could be some, and we'll talk about the ones that we think perhaps uh, are gaining the most discussion. Um, there, may, there may be some that don't get implemented as, as per the recommendations. So, so I mean, the, probably the one that seemed to get a lot of the attention was the whole changes to the mortgage broking industry did, yeah. did you want to start did you want to start there yeah so I, I, one, of, one of the recommendations um which i suppose relates to lending um the recommendation was that the borrower not the lender should pay the mortgage broker a fee um in relation to providing that service so at the moment a lot of people well i think it's 60 percent of the of the market um, in loans is, is generated by mortgage brokers. Um, so essentially an individual will seek the advice of a mortgage broker who, who 
provides a service in obtaining a loan for 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 the for the borrower. Um, and the way that the remuneration is structured at the moment is that as a result of that service, the banks um, pay an upfront fee and an ongoing commission um, to the mortgage broker. So the the model as it sits at the moment is that the consumer or the borrower doesn't pay necessarily a fee to the mortgage broker, that it is a third party, which in most circumstances is the bank that pays that. So there is some concern that um, perhaps there's conflict involved there because there's third-party remuneration. So one of the recommendations was that that effectively should be removed. There shouldn't be any ongoing commissions um, and that if there is a fee to be paid, that it should be paid by the borrower, not the bank. Um, So that's been, I suppose, one recommendation that, that has gained a lot of attention in particular within our circles, um, within our networks um, as to what the ramifications of that may be over time. So to, to break that down, the, the the broker channel has grown significantly over the past couple of decades and I think yeah, we, the stats are somewhere around 60% of, of loans come through a broker um, and my understanding is, no expert here, but um, you know, in the, in the 90s, um, the banks, or maybe even a bit earlier, the banks had you know pretty much the a very they still do, but a very strong position, and and brokers came in the broker channel came in and and, and increased competition where you know a broker might recommend a not one of the top four major four banks, so therefore increasing competition. Well, well I suppose the motivation behind having a broker that's not employed by the bank is that in, in an ideal world, what what you would hope to achieve is that the borrower is getting impartial advice. So it's a loan um, or a service where they can, a broker can look at the whole market and find a loan that's in the client's best, best interests. Through the, I suppose, the commentary from the Royal Commission um, has been that speculation perhaps that, um, that, that it can be viewed as conflicted remuneration and that you know the, the commissions can potentially influence the bloke the broker's recommendations about the choice of the lender um so the, if there are varying degrees of commission from one bank to the other then regardless of whether um it's impartial or um independent or, or non-conflicted advice there is that perceived conflict of interest isn't there so i think that's perhaps why this recommendation has been made hundred um, percent you, you could be the best broker in the world and act in your client's best interests. And I'm sure the vast majority do that. But the way it's designed, if, if a mortgage broker, a cowboy mortgage broker can choose between uh, mortgage or, or loan A, loan B, and loan A pays a higher commission than loan B, there's nothing stopping them yeah. from acting not in the client's best interest and recommending that loan with the higher commi- highest commission. Yeah. So... Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt why that's been, that's been brought in, yeah. and it's. I mean, we've spoken about this a fair bit, Glenn. It's it's unfortunate for, you know, the vast majority of mortgage brokers that provide that great service, um, act in their clients' best interests. But that that's why, that, that as you you hit the nail on the head, there, there's the potential for uh, conflicts of interest. Yeah, and I suppose it's it's one of those things that, I mean. You know, we're not in in a position where we can influence anything with regards to these recommendations, and all, all we can do is have a discussion about alternatives, implications. Um, I suppose one of my concerns with that is that if this was to occur, and if you completely remove um, commissions, what one of the points that I made earlier in the week was that 
does it then if if that particular service moves to like a fee for service type model which i mean our industry you know the financial advice industry has moved to that over the last sort of 25 30 years where it is more of a fee for service model now the concern though is that if you move from the current model which is a you know a, a the the lender pays the the broker um, to a fee for service model does that make it somewhat of an elite service where perhaps the majority of people just can't afford to pay for that service which therefore pushes them to the banks which as a result mm. just gives more power to the big four banks and just interesting keep going Glenn, but a quick start on that some some research was completed i'm not sure when recently though before the the royal commission that 96.5 percent of borrowers um would would not be prepared to pay two thousand dollars yeah so th- there you go i mean so the in that situation that industry is in a lot of trouble so and so and that's obviously why the mortgage broking industry is up in arms and and, and just to kind of clarify that two thousand dollars uh um hopefully i don't get these stats wrong but i think the average loan size uh is something like three or four hundred thousand dollars i'm just talking general here um so and then a, a mortgage broker receives an upfront commission of yeah somewhere around that you know a couple thousand dollars so that that's how they get in terms of upfront commission yeah um so under the the new consumer pays model which the recommend if the recommendations go through is how it would be is that the um the borrower would now pay the, that two thousand whatever the, the the figure is the two thousand dollars rather than the, the rather than the the bank paying the commission yeah so but in, in that situation i mean the bank profits from that don't they because they don't have to pay a fee onto the broker and they absorb the full level of revenue well, don't that, yeah that that's where it gets complex and 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 i think as i've said to you glenn i'm, I'm trying to be really balanced in how i how i consider this because ultimately there is money being paid commissions being paid which um somebody is bearing the cost so to speak yeah. like it's a cost being born if those costs are stripped out of the system due to banning yeah commissions does that then pass on to the borrower do banks absorb it or do they pass it on to the borrower via yeah. lower rates fees whatever you want to call it yeah and that's yeah. almost very hard to know isn't it and it's also the impact on competition like does does this stifle competition and does this push interest rates up i don't i don't know the answer to these questions um, I mean, it, it does... When you say stifle competition, do you mean give well, more to the big more, four more, banks? More to the big four, which therefore enables them to potentially charge higher interest rates. Like if, if the market isn't as competitive, that's generally what happens. You know, the, the pressure, downward pressure on prices or, or rates um, is, is reduced. Um, look, there's, there's the, the concern for me with the current system is that I, I think it, there's no doubt that there has been um conflict conflict with i mean as you were saying with, with that example you use when there's one institution paying a commission higher than the other h- how do you remove that conflict of interest is it just from you know from this day forward it's a flat commission structure where every institution has to pay the same level of commission does that then remove the conflict but that, that would that be hard to regulate though because you're telling a, a um a bank or whatever a lender how much they need to pay, and that could that might be a commercial, like a business decision. Well, in, in, in I suppose it's it's almost like um, the insurance industry, which we'll perhaps talk about later, where generally it's just a flat commission structure of 20, 20 to thirty mm. percent of the premium. Uh, look, I, I just don't have an answer to it. I'm, I'm just mm. trying to 
look at it from the, the consumer's perspective and say, what are the ramifications of this? Um, I think there's 20,000 plus mortgage brokers. So it, it's a lot of small business owners that, that are impacted by this. Not that, that necessarily a reason why you shouldn't make change to an industry. And as I said, I mean, our financial planning industry had, has moved from a commission-based industry to more of a fee-for-service based. And one of the other recommendations was the removal of the grandfathered commission. So commissions were banned within the financial planning profession, but there was there was the grandfathering of existing commissions. Now, I'm totally in favor of removing those because the issue is that if you've got a product that's still paying a commission, what incentive does the advisor have to recommend that, that client switches from that fund to another? So I fully applaud that. I don't have an answer with regards to mortgage brokers. My concern though is that by removing that element or that segment of the um, lending industry, how is that going to affect the consumer? How is it going to affect um, competition? And, and therefore, is it providing the, the client or the borrower with the best outcome? And, and just, just on that, um, the, the future of financial advice reforms that came in in 2014, so the, the, the mortgage broking industry avoided that. So hence, um, there was no spotlight on commissions at, at that point in time. And, and also the whole best interest duty where, you know, where it's legislated where you need to act in the client's best interest. So these are things that are now happening to the mortgage broking industry. So it is, yeah. you know, it has kind of somewhat been some years behind the financial advice industry. Yeah. And, and look, we, obviously, we don't want to spend too much time in the whole podcast chatting about um, that particular recommendation. But just, just the other point that I wanted to raise, um, which was another recommendation was that mortgage brokers should be subject to and regulated by the law that applies to any organisation that's providing financial product advice. So as financial advisors, we're, um, we have to hold the Australian Financial Services Licence and we're regulated um, and we have to meet certain educational requirements. I think there's, once again, there's no reason why mortgage brokers shouldn't be treated any differently to financial advisors. Um, and arguably, that's an element that has been a, a bit of a dark element in that you know, a mortgage broker recommending that someone goes out and buys an investment property, they can do that without having a license. So, you know, that's where I think that there, there does need to be tighter regulation and, and lifting of the educational requirements within that because you're dealing with people's lives. And, you know, we've been crying and pushing for the financial planning educational standards to be lifted and that's now happening. Um, I think it can only be good for those who are in the industry that those educational standards be, be lifted. So just, um, was there anything else in particular? I mean, what, what, would, what would have been the, the next thing that really you know, caught your attention with regards to the recommendations? I think you touched on quickly or briefly just around the, um, the grandfathered commissions for the financial yeah. advice yeah. industry. So, so just to clarify that, in, in 2014, under the, the FOFA, Future of Financial Advice changes, um, new commissions were, were were banned so any third party payments from say a product provider were were banned but any existing commission arrange, arrangements were were basically allowable they're completely being phased out um as at the start of 2021 and as you said earlier glenn we absolutely would applaud that agree with that you know, at heels and private wealth where a, an independent um financial advice business fee for service never charge commissions and and maybe just point out glenn we don't you know, on the whole mortgage broking thing, we don't offer mortgage broking no. or lending services. So 
um, you know, we're coming here from a complete, when, when we're discussing it, we're completely independent. In, we're not impacted by it, I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, j- just moving on to one, one of the other recommendations, which um, talks about and relates to um, the independence of, of a financial planning organization or the independence of advice. Um, one of one of the recommendations was that it it was to require uh, advisors to basically give the client a written statement explaining why they're not independent, impartial, and unbiased. So at the moment, obviously, there's certain parts of the Corporations Act that you need to adhere to, to to call yourself independent. But if you're not independent, you don't need to explain why you're not independent and how you're you know not independent or impartial. Um, so th- there's there's no requirement around that at the moment. So, I mean, once again, as you said, Nathan, we are independently licensed. We're an independent firm, um, and, and our sort of internal belief is that there has to be a separation of advice from from product. Um, so, I mean, that that's a recommendation that I think can only be a positive for the, for for the consumer or the client. Yeah, I mean, d- definitely, we're you know preaching or the report is preaching to the converter there because being an independent firm 100% we would would agree with that and I mean it can be it can be difficult for a consumer to to understand the difference between an independent advice firm versus a um, maybe uh, an advice firm that might be owned or not independent owned by a bank or a, a major finance company so yeah definitely a great outcome. And another recommendation that does relate to, I mean, another industry that, that's primarily um, driven by commissions is, is the insurance industry. Um, now, the recommendation wasn't as um, clear, perhaps, as the one relating to mortgage brokers, um, but but one of the recommendations by the um, by the commission was that ASIC should consider further reducing the cap on commissions in relation to life insurance um, and that ultimately that cap should be reduced to zero. So that's another industry that may be under the spotlight um, with regards to um, commissions. Now, that, that's probably another podcast in itself as to the, the reasons why the industry is, is a commission-based sort of industry and why brokers are remunerated in that particular way. But th- there's no doubt that the spotlight really is on conflicted remuneration, um, trail commissions and upfront commissions. So like the mortgage broking industry, there's, I think there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge with this um, and it's not a very clear-cut recommendation. It's, it's more so around around ASIC, um, I suppose, referring it to ASIC to give consideration to reduce that. Um, yes, yeah, so did you have anything to add in that regard? Um, yeah, I, I mean, once again, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, I guess kicking the can down the road, so to speak, to, to ASIC to conduct a review. Um, I mean, we once again, you know, we could just quickly make it clear that we we, we do um, FIFA FIFA um, service insurance, so we don't accept any commissions. So I mean, it's it's obvious that we would support that. As but well. but I suppose just on that, similar to the banks paying commissions to mortgage brokers, what we do is rebate that commission back to the client. So the client. Yeah. In, in many ways is, is better off. So if commissions are abolished, will that then see premiums come down 20, 30% or does the insurer absorb that? Like it's, it's the same sort of discussion. Mm. It's the same sort of argument. Um, so I think this is once again, another thing that 
you know, th- th- there needs to be evidence that the benefits from the removal of commissions outweigh the harm because once again, how are people going to get advice in relation to insurance? Are people going to pay for that advice? Mm. Um, it's probably a little bit more clear-cut, I suppose, than, than mortgage brokers. Perhaps it is a fee-for-service model so long as the change results in a saving to the to the consumer yeah it's a good point so i mean if the yeah if the premium um or the commission is you know 20 or 30 percent per annum of the annual premium they're paying out is the insurance company going to reduce their or, or the premium to the client by 20 or 30 percent um that that's hard to know and i i the optimist in me would like to think that market forces would, you know, yeah. a, a competitor, like a, an insurance company, can come up and say, "Well, we'll pass it all on, and we'll we'll yeah. get more business." Yeah. But um, you know, so a free market, but it's not always that clear cut, is it? And look, we're very much in favour of fee for service as opposed to commission, but we, we we're trying to have a fairly balanced view and play devil's advocate and and and, and discuss both sides because the other side of that argument with regards to removing. Um, or charge more, more fee for services, do you make that service? Once again, does it mean that those who need the advice can't afford it? Because at the moment, it's a commission-based model. So ultimately, you know, someone who's paying less than $1,000 in, um, in, in premiums, they're ultimately getting a service that's not costing them anything at the moment, whereas would they pay a broker a fee um, to get to get the dollars or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. The, I mean, is it that is is that business commercial? I mean, is it a meaningful business? That, that's the concern. People who who need the advice are they going to get yeah. it as a result of this? Yeah, it's a tough one, and I keep as I'm trying to be balanced as well in my my thoughts on it. But it's costing the system a lot of money because commissions are getting paid out. So it's just how's that going to translate? Yeah, to the end consumer, which yeah. is the hard part to know. Yeah. Mm. Did you have anything else? Oh, I mean, oh, probably just another major thing that came out of the report, Glenn, was um, the the report or the recommendations or the report was quite critical on, on the regulators, so ASIC and APRA, yeah. um, for not, I guess, not being tough enough um, yeah. on, on institutions and, and individuals. So, I mean, there is going to be a, uh, my understanding is there's going to be a new um, body or like a committee to, to oversee or to monitor ASIC and APRA. Um, I sp- I found that interesting to a degree because I think it's obviously it's a good thing. You know, uh, personally, I'd like to see them be more tougher on bad operators, but um, someone to kind of oversee them. I don't know. I just like, I'm just surprised that, that the, I mean, you might have some comments there, Glenn, but why not just give them more power or maybe they did and that wasn't working? I'm not quite sure. Well, I think one of the criticisms of, of the regulator has been that, that there's been quite a few enforceable undertakings. Um, there's been quite a few financial settlements. But where's, I mean, do people want to see punished people, you know, individuals? I mean, there's, there's yes, also they do, been, don't they? There's been situations where the law has been broken, um, severe misconduct and yet, where where where's where's the um you know where's the people behind bars we haven't seen and i think that's been one of the perhaps criticisms is that it's all good and well for these companies to be to be making financial settlements but is that just an is that just an easy get out clause um where's the disincentive 
to not operate in this way. And I think that's what one of the recommendations sort of is to move away from that sort of passive self-regulation, you know, to, to a more enforceable, not aggressive path, but perhaps a, a more litigious um, path from the regulator. Yeah, and one of the, I guess one of the good things in the report is the, I don't have a lot of detail on it, but the banking executive uh, accountability regime or bear yeah, making yeah. them more, yeah, making make, individuals, making, making executives. banking executives more more accountable um, for for administrative errors and and um, and issue, you know, programs where breaches and and so forth have occurred. Yeah, that's only a good thing. So look, I think that did you have one more thing that you wanted to chat about? Yeah, no? I'll, I'll just uh, I was going to say, um, I mean, something just because we've spoken about this a few times on previous podcasts was the. Um, the, the 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 whole concept around having a default super fund, which was in the Productivity Commission. Yep. Yep. So the Royal the um the Royal Commission report recommendations supported that, um, which is probably a good thing as we've spoken about previously. Um, and, and oh, just one observation, final observation I'll leave leave with Glenn is just the um, uh, I, I guess <laughs> the comments around the financial advice industry not being a true profession. Um, um, Commissioner Hayne obviously said, said that in, in the report, which, I mean, I'm not, not arguing with him, but um, let, let's kind of hope that if some of these recommendations come to fruition and, you know, commissions are completely eradicated in, you know, in the financial advice industry, that, you know, we'll, we'll be sitting here in years to come and, and we will be seen as a, a, a pure profession because, I mean, we obviously have a lot of belief in what we do and we think that we can add a lot of value to, to our clients. So hopefully we are viewed as a profession. Yeah, and, and that's where I think the industry is, is a bit fragmented, isn't it? Because, you know, th- there are um, things that are putting in place, you know, phasia around the lifting of educational requirements. So you, you would hope that once that is in place and that there's a level playing field with relation to educational standards within the financial planning industry that it, it can be viewed as a profession but in some ways I agree with him in that there's still an element of, of the industry that has advisors that don't have a high level of qualification. Um, so look, part of what he's saying I think is correct but hopefully we're moving away from that as you were saying by removing commissions, um, lifting educational standards and just taking the conflict out of the recommendations and the services that advisors provide. Um, so look on that note uh, we sort of run out of time this week Um, we hope that we've given you a bit of an insight into the recommendations and perhaps how they may impact you Um, and and look it it is a fairly thorough undertaking there's there's a lot of recommendations Um, so so hope we've given you a bit of an insight Um, we look forward to chatting to you all again next week thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the money mentors podcast um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next week.